This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is once again brought to you by our good friends and sponsors at New Wave, who have given us Flow State Coffee. Now, this is coffee for creative types like you and me. Think of being in a flow state, kind of like being in the zone. You know what I mean? You're totally engaged in what you're doing, and you are absolutely focused with precision on whatever it is you're producing or doing or creating. And that's why New Wave developed Flow State Coffee. It's coffee blended with a little bit of raw cacao for some nice, delicious flavor. And there's also a little bit of L-theanine in there as well, which is a helpful amino acid that naturally reduces stress and naturally reduces anxiety. And when you drink Flow State Coffee, you get the energy that you get from coffee, which is good, but you get it with a refined focus that helps you tackle whatever it is you need to do during your day. Once again, this is really focused on creative types, but it's not limited to creative types. If you're a coffee drinker, you'll love this stuff. It's great. And let me help you get 10% off your first order. I need you to go to newwave.co slash Berman. That's N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Super simple, super delicious, and this shit's good. It helps me stay focused in the morning. It helps me stay focused in the afternoon when I have my afternoon coffee. This is what I drink, and this is what I want you to drink. So let me help you get 10% off. Go to newwave.co slash Berman and enjoy the pod. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. My name is Jeff Berman. Therefore, I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's great to have you with us this week. And I am very happy to share my interview with Emily Matview with you momentarily. I was very nervous about doing this interview. Well, not nervous about doing the interview. I was nervous about how to craft the interview. I was even nervous about how to craft my message to Emily when I reached out to her to ask if she even wanted to be on the podcast to begin with. And, you know, I've known Emily for a long time, about 10 years. She's a Las Vegas-based photographer. We know each other through the music scene, and we know each other through the world of punk rock. But Emily is now transgender and is going through the transformations involved with that and dealing with the real struggles of that. And I wanted to give her an opportunity to share a little bit about what that's like, if she was willing to do so. I wanted to give her a platform that she could offer, you know, solace and and camaraderie to other people who have dealt with uh, gender dysphoria in the same way that she has. And I'm really impressed with how she opened up. I can't thank her enough for being willing to come on the show, but the fact that she really opened up and really poured her heart out in this interview is is really quite something, you know? I was very taken aback by it, and it, it put me at ease because I wanted to, you know, whatever. It's a podcast. It's not that important in the grand scheme of things, but I wanted to do a good fucking job, and I, I really wanted to make Emily feel comfortable and... I wanted to give her a a platform for which she could say what she felt she needed to say. She's been through a lot, and she talks about her struggles leading up to her decision to fully transition and the struggles she had making that decision, the struggles she's had after that decision, and the struggles she's had being transgender in the world during a global fucking pandemic. I mean, that shit's monumentally difficult beyond anything that I can fathom. And by comparison, if I'm able to work harder at saying the correct pronouns and being more mindful of that, that's easy by comparison. And I I think that, you know, this conversation really points out the fact that we can all be better allies, whether it's to somebody in our family, somebody in our friend group, uh, somebody that we just work with, or even a stranger, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to be extra nice and to be extra mindful and to simply apologize if you fuck up with pronouns, as I am want to do sometimes. So I really hope that everybody enjoys this conversation with Emily. We talk about her transition. We talk about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. We talk about punk rock. And she currently has a photography exhibit that is running now through the 17th of November. So if you are in the Las Vegas area, 
go to the Whitney Library and check out Emily's photo exhibit called Explosion of Silence. The title is a Lawrence Arms reference for those keeping track at home. Explosion of Silence at the Whitney Library, where you can see photos that Emily has taken for the last decade. Big bands, small bands, you're going to know who they are. It's going to be great. I highly recommend it. At the Whitney Museum, now through the 17th of November. This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is also brought to you by our friends and sponsors at High Spirits Shirts. Now, chances are you have seen the shirts and sweatshirts, maybe even the onesies and the beer koozies from High Spirits Shirts on the people you know and love in the entertainment business. You just didn't know what you were looking at. Ron Funches. I have not seen Ron Funches on television in something that's not a High Spirits Shirts t-shirt or sweatshirt in what feels like years. Same can be said for Mr. Sam Roberts, the wrestling podcasting legend himself. He's always wearing t-shirts from High Spirits Shirts. Melissa Villasenor from Saturday Night Live is often seen wearing a sweatshirt tie-dyed by the good folks at High Spirit Shirts. Now, if you check them out at High Spirit Shirts on Instagram, you can see what they've made already, and you can order it and wear it, and it'll be great. Shipping is really easy with them. They're awesome. Or you can make custom orders. You can ask them to make something for that special someone in your life. You don't have a gift idea for Christmas. You don't have a gift idea for Hanukkah. You don't have a gift idea for someone's birthday, and you need to get them something cool, perhaps something funny that they can wear. Go to at High Spirit Shirts on Instagram. So thanks again to Emily Matthew for being brave and and candid and open with this interview. And I hope you all enjoy it. Thanks for tuning into the Berman Hour. Here is my conversation with Emily Matthew. Or a less than Jake song, I guess. It's interesting you say that because History of a Boring Town by Less Than Jake. I mean, that was that was one of the songs that I, I heard and thought, oh, I guess I'm okay if I don't leave my hometown. <laughs> but, but then <laughs> yeah. and then a few years later they, they put out um on Borders and Boundaries, there was that song, um uh, and I swear it's oh, the last time. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm yeah. never gonna leave my hometown. I can't I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean my hometown is is basically Vegas at this point and I would have a really hard time leaving cuz I'm so spoiled by everything being 24 hours. Well, I guess not during COVID, but you know, I need to be able to go and get like chicken nuggets at 4 in the morning. I think everyone deserves that, Emily. I mean, come on. It's the 21st century. I think that's a human it's a human right. It's low on the list of human rights that need to be addressed. <laughs> A nugget for everyone. <laughs> yes. No matter what time. Yeah. Are are you were you born and raised in Las Vegas or in the general Las Vegas area? I was born in Chicago, but I moved here when I was I moved to Vegas when I was five. Okay. So I've pretty much been raised here the whole time. I got to spend just a little bit of time in Chicago, like enough time to enjoy playing with the snow, but not enough time to have to be annoyed with the snow you weren't responsible for shoveling all that shit out of your yeah. sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why all the old heads in my life are always complaining about it. I'm like, this is great. Let's go throw snowballs. <laughs> yeah. What do you know what, what caused your family to, or what made your family want to move out of Chicago and to fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada? Yeah. Um, well, um, you know, my dad passed away and my mom her family had moved to Las Vegas, so she wanted to move out here to sure. be closer to her family, who then promptly all left and went back to the Midwest. So we ended up here on our own, basically. Oh, well, my condolences on the passing of your father as, as such a young, uh, a young person. That, that's got to be really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I was sad at the time, but, you know, it was... It was a long time ago now. I don't really think about it too much. Yeah. And, and, you know, now that I hear you talk and, you know, we're not in a noisy restaurant or we're not at a show, <laughs> I can I can hear Midwest in your voice, Emily. I, I've never noticed that before. Yeah, sometimes people say they can pick it up. I, I don't know. Maybe I, yeah, I guess I got a little bit of it from preschool. 
there's not much in there, but it's it's in there. I have family in the Chicagoland area, and when I hear them talk, oh my god! I mean, <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> or if they start yeah. talking about the cubbies, oh my yeah. god! You know, or the bears, or the the bears. Yeah, you have a you have a little bit. It's not <laughs> much. It's not much. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. I mean, Vegas. People don't associate Las Vegas as a great place to live because in a lot of ways it's America's playground for debauchery of all sorts. Can you speak a little bit to what it was like, you know, as, as a little kid growing up in a city like Las Vegas? Yeah. I mean, as a little kid, I don't think I really, like, I don't really think I thought about it that much as a little kid, because even though I came here from Chicago, I, I was so little in Chicago that it wasn't like I was experienced with a lot of things. So growing up here as a kid, um, it, like at first I didn't think anything was that weird, you know, that like all of our movie theaters are inside of casinos or, um, you know, when we'd go out to eat, it would be inside of a casino. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything out here is casinos, but we just lived um, next to a casino um, when we first moved out here. So, um, you know, I didn't think about it too much as a kid. It just seemed like a regular, regular place to grow up, you know, going to school out here, um, just, just doing all the regular stuff um, you could imagine. I don't think I realized how weird it was until I got a little bit older because um, I, I worked for the school district for a long time um, in my 20s mm-hmm. and doing things like going on field trips to casinos, going past all the like strip club billboards and you know, hot girls directly to you billboards with a bunch of middle school kids. Um, it made me think a little bit more about how it, it is kind of weird out here sometimes, but um, I don't think it's as weird as people think. Um, when the internet started becoming a thing, you know, when I was in middle school, I, I think I kind of started to realize that too, because I would be chatting with people on like punk forums and, and comic book forums and stuff. And I started to realize how many people like legit thought that I just lived in a casino or that <laughs> my, my mom must work in a casino or like people don't realize how much there is outside of the strip. And I mean, you get to see it from playing here, not on the strip, but yeah. You know, it's people are, are so focused on that aspect of it, um, but we do get that benefit that you know because of the strip, we have things that are open twenty four hours. So I like it. Yeah, and there's something to be said too that well, two things. There's there's a whole side of Las Vegas that is not the strip. Yeah, and in a lot of ways is very separated and different from the strip. There's a coexistence, of course, because it's like any major city, you know, yeah. not everything in New York is, is Central Park West. It's just not how it works. But there's also something to be said for the, the it, it's, it seems to be a really vibrant working class town in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because people don't, people don't take into account how many people work at these casinos because it, it's not, you know, if they're seeing movies and stuff, they maybe know a few casinos by name, but there's, dozens and dozens of these things and a number of them are massive so the just the mere fact that they employ so many tens of thousands of people hundreds of thousands perhaps uh it it really speaks to to vegas being the working class town that so many other cities in america are are still desperately trying to to be or you know that's the slogan they're trying to cling to and, and vegas is just mopping the floor with them yeah it it really is i mean I worked on the strip once. I worked at Caesar's Palace and the amount of people just like the, the employee parking garage was like bigger than the regular parking garage. Like there's a lot of people working there. Mm-hmm. What did you do at, at Caesar's? Oh, I, there was a, there used to be a 3d ride there called the race for Atlantis. So I got to go into work and get into a toga and guide people through this um, 3D experience. That sounds pretty fun. It was. That was only my second job. I worked at the grocery store before that. So going from just kind of like a mundane, um, you know, bagging groceries and getting carts to this like more theatrical, you know, being in a costume and, um, you know, taking people on this adventure was, it was really cool. It, it was one of the more fun jobs that I had. And every, every now and then, Really, the best part about that job was that every now and then, on occasion, we would get a call from Michael Jackson's people, 
and he would want to bring his family on the ride. So he would just buy all the tickets for the whole day. And usually he never ended up showing up. So we would just get to spend the whole day getting paid, hanging out in the break room. We would just play like Street Fighter or Sure. But did they ever show up? Did he and his family ever show up and you see them? Yeah, they did come through a couple times. Um, You know, we had really specific rules, you know, not not to look him in the eye. Don't ask him any questions. Don't ask for a photo. Um, You know, I so badly wanted to work in like, references to his songs um you know if, if you don't keep your seatbelt fashion i'm gonna tell you to beat it or something like that but i didn't want to get fired so <laughs> i was nice that's a great story that's a great story well settle something for me and i'm gonna have you be the ultimate authority my wife kate who you've met before will will inevitably listen to this podcast and she's gonna know where this is going so we moved to lancaster pennsylvania this is where i grew up and, you know, this, we, we made the plan to move and we closed on the house before COVID and everything. So this was always the plan. And it, it's a good plan because it's good to be close to my family. Yeah. The, the only other place that we truly considered moving was Las Vegas. And, and I was pushing for it because I, I'm a firm believer in that working class ethos that's, that's so strong in Las Vegas. And I like the dynamic of, you know, it's like you have a part of town that is so bloody touristy that the rest of it is just real people being yeah. themselves. And, and uh, it, do, it didn't seem to have that kind of pervasive cosmetic plastic nature that Los Angeles tends to have. And it's cheaper and we could have afforded a house and all that stuff. So, you know, did you th- think that your experience growing up there and, and as a young person and even as a young adult, even though we're both not <laughs> that, that terribly young anymore, I mean, do you... Th- is it, did the positives outweigh the negatives? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think so. So for sure, because um, it is true. Like like once you've been out here and you know, like you know where the the like where the shows are, where the culture is, um, where things aren't super expensive because the strip is really expensive. Yeah, then it's it becomes really great. Like 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 nowhere else really. Um, it's always really fun, like when bands do come here, and you know, my friends and I will take them to like, um, you know, bars downtown where you can get whiskey sodas for like, you know, one or two dollars depending on the night. Um, it's mm-hmm. really fun. Yeah, I think now, you, you know, and, and COVID notwithstanding, but let's say 2019, <laughs> it's very, it's very easy for uh somebody who's in the punk rock and hardcore subculture to look at las vegas and think oh yeah there's a substantial kind of underbelly of subculture there because of punk rock bowling being practically 20 years old at this point where there's always kind of been this at least annual influx of you know the punks for lack of a better term but can you speak to what your experience was getting into the underground subculture the punk and hardcore and 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 just what it was like in a city like las vegas that at a certain time was not known for that or or was it and and we just didn't know yeah i mean i you know i I got into punk during middle school and like early high school and it was that period of time that punk got really big you know green day blew up and offspring blew up um you know, bad religion was getting huge, rancid. So it just seemed like there were so many local bands. Um, we had this venue called The Hundredge, and there was a smaller venue connected to it called The Sanctuary. So every weekend, you know, you'd have a band like, um, you know, No Effects or The Circle Jerks or something playing The Hundredge side. You'd have the smaller bands like um, H2O, Saves a Day, playing the smaller place in the back. Um, plus all the local bands that we had. So, you know, having that growing up, you know, I feel really fortunate. Um, the city is really, the, the city itself is really strict on rules when it comes to all ages venues. So it's been kind of tricky ever since, like whatever our standard spot is pretty much changes every year. And yeah. You've gotten to see that. I think you've played <laughs> a different venue probably every time you've come here. So, you know, that's always been a tricky spot. Like we don't have one of those things like, um, 
chain reaction that's just been there forever, you know, but people here are really resilient. So as soon as one place goes down, there's always, you know, a a new group of people ready to, to pick up and try again somewhere else. Yeah. I guess I guess then I I'm misspoken and and I'm I'm misinformed and I jumped to the wrong conclusion. I I, I was under the impression that it wasn't really until punk rock bowling started to uh, ex- expand and, and become the festival that we know it, it to be today that bands were putting Las Vegas on their tour itineraries. But you're telling me that quite the contrary. There were there were shows happening there in the '90s as they were happening in in my town of Lancaster or in uh, you know, Austin or anywhere else. Yeah. The, the like whole nineties, like skate punk, pop punk, um, like third wave ska, like all of that kind of stuff was really popular in this area, probably because of the proximity to Southern California where a lot of those bands were from. So a lot of those bands made Vegas their first spot when they started touring outside of California and managed to keep coming through again and again. So that was really nice. It's kind of weird in Vegas with bands because, you know, either you get bands that come, you know, that continue coming here and like build up an audience and do extremely well, or you just have bands that never come here at all, or it takes them like a really long time to get here. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird for being like such a city that like, you know, everybody's heard of Las Vegas. Um, it's really like hit or miss who actually would come here during that time, but sure. Most of the big ones came through and did really well. Yeah. And now it's a thing. I mean, yeah. everybody plays Vegas now. Almost everyone. Almost everyone. We just got Royce Manor play here for the very first time in January, which is wild since they only live like six hours away in LA, but it took them. Where like- did they play? Um, they played at the hard rock hotel there anymore it was like the last show there so um we were were just about to get when when covid started up um we had just gotten announced our first time of pup playing here and they were going to play like right around easter so my friends and i were all really excited about that and at the at the time we were still naive enough to think covid was going to be done by then but it (laughs) was not so (laughs) we're still waiting on that pup show we're still waiting on that pup show all right well we'll we'll Call the, the Canadian consulate and see what we can do once things <laughs> thaw out. Hopefully, um, at, at what point, you know, in your involvement in the scene, did you decide that you wanted to be kind of a custodian of records of sorts? You wanted to be a documentarian with with what you started with Punks in Vegas. So I started Punks in Vegas uh, a little over nine years ago. I, um, you know, I've been going to shows since I was um, like fourteen, um, thirteen. 13, 14, something like that. So I was like in my late, late, later twenties when, when I started doing this, I had, I had, you know, I was, I'd been really focused on college and graduate school for a while. And then once that was all done, I had a lot of free time. So I was able to start going to more and more shows again. And I was still going to shows when I was in school, but now I had all this free time. So I didn't have to skip something. Um, to make sure that I was getting you know my homework done and everything, yeah. so I was going to more and more shows, and I was getting like, you know, I would see like um, there was a couple things that came up at the same time. Like I would post a lot um, just on my personal page, like I'm, that's probably MySpace back then, um, maybe Facebook, I don't know, but I I would post about like shows that I was really excited about and. Um, no one would really say anything and, and maybe the turnout would be kind of low. And I kept trying to figure out how to like promote these things and like try to or, uh, help promote them. So they were my shows, but I was trying to figure out like how I could help um, promote these shows and make them bigger and make the bands that I like um, want to come here more. And I also was noticing a lot um, and, and kind of goes along with what you were saying um, just a little bit ago is that a lot of, a lot of like, um, bands, especially like smaller up, up and coming bands, um, had just, they didn't realize that there was like a scene in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. that it's a place that they should, that they should come to and is actually kind of cool. So I just thought, 
you know, I've, I've always wanted to be like, like I've always wanted to be a, a writer, like, like being an author was like my dream job when I was a kid and now I'm a librarian. So I, I kind of work with authors. Um, but I, I thought like, well, I really like writing and I really like going to shows. So maybe I could, um, start writing about these shows and like writing about how cool they are and, you know, putting it out there and then bands would share it. And then their friend bands would read it and be like, Oh, Hey, I didn't realize there was stuff going on in Vegas, but, but I guess there is maybe, maybe we should come to Vegas too. And that, that was kind of like the, the, the genesis of starting that. I just, you know, I was talking over the idea with, with a friend at dinner and he was like, it's my friend, um, Aaron Bautista. And he was just like, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. So I just went home and, and did it and just started doing it. Yeah, Punks in Vegas struck me as the first web blog or, or you know, web, whatever we want to call it. But to, to me, it struck me as a fanzine. It was the first time that I saw something that was entirely online that read and really showcased itself as if it was something from 15 years earlier that would have been photocopied and handed out at shows that we were going to. You know what I mean? It really yeah. felt like... Uh, without being an, a nostalgic kick, it felt very much like a throwback, but it was spotlighting, at, you know, everything that was happening in Vegas. If it was the Bouncing Souls or the Dropkick Murphys at that level, or it was, you know, the core and <laughs> Divided Heaven and Jeff yeah. Rowe. And, you know, you, you, you all really did a good job of covering the expansive amount of things that were happening in Vegas and, and really put Vegas on the map. Were you doing it? solo for a number of years in the beginning or did you always kind of have a small crew of people with you in the in the beginning it was essentially just me um my uh my, my partner at the time helped with editing my stuff I, I think she was just basically like there's too many spelling errors i can't read this i'm gonna edit your stuff so that was extremely helpful it, it it's good to have somebody like that around though with that kind of stuff yeah i was really glad that she was able to help out and, and kind of make things look a little bit more um professional um but like um for, for the first little bit it was just me as far as creating the content goes i really didn't envision it at all when i started as being you know what it what it's become is more of a community project it was just like my blog to talk about things that, that, that I liked. And I, I did like try to keep, you know, the, the focus, you know, you're saying with the smaller bands and bigger bands was very much intentional because I had this idea, like, I just wanted to talk about the things that I liked, whether they were, you know, huge bands, you know, tiny bands. I, I also had this idea of like, you know, like, like sometimes you meet people and they'll be into those bigger bands, right? Like they'll be into the bouncing souls. Like that'll be their favorite band. And then, you know, trying to reach those people and be like, Hey, if you like the bouncing souls, there's this band, um, you know, the core that kind of sounds like them and even covers them sometimes. And they're right here in town and you can see them all the time. And out of, uh, you know, a, a venue that, um, <laughs> you know, it's not the house of blues. So that the, the venue they're playing at that the beer isn't, $18. So <laughs> yeah. um, the ticket is cheaper. The drinks are cheaper. The parking is cheaper. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I wanted to try to make that, that, that connection. And then even for like bands that were touring, you know, you have some people that only go to local shows, like just to come and hang out with their friends. So, so I kind of thought of it the reverse way too. Like, Oh, well maybe some of those people will be like, Oh, there's like a, a, a mid-level band coming through that I've never heard of, but you know, they sound like, this band that I'm friends with. So I'll come and check that out too. So I was just trying to get that connection going in people's heads that there's this yeah. stuff going at. There's just like that, like tendency for people to just stop listening to, to new things when like they're out of high school or whatever, or, and then they, then they just think like there's, there's that hard times article that it's something like, um, you know, scene died exactly the moment this guy <laughs> left or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I would just like think about that kind of stuff, you know, you know, since I was in my, my, my like mid to late twenties at that point, I knew a lot of people like that. So I wanted to be able to showcase to them too, that like scene's still going on. It's still pretty great. Um, you should come check out a show sometime. 
Yeah, and I think you and I are roughly the same. I'm 38. How old are you? 37. Okay, so more or less. I mean, but you remember a time where punk rock was not exclusively on the internet. Yeah. And, you know, when I was playing in in my first few bands, and we were fortunate enough to go, you know, just to Philadelphia, and we would play with a band from New Jersey or something. Yeah. And we would get zines from other places, and it was very much a window into what that scene was like, you know. spell spell checking be damned like it was just a it was a great view into that and i i really give your your site a lot of credit for me wanting and and you know incessantly bothering my my then girlfriend and and now wife that i was like vegas is always fun it's always cool it's more affordable let's ditch la and and go to vegas so maybe we'll be there you know maybe in in 30 years we'll, we'll be there to retire and we'll be, uh, you know, we can, we can meet up at, at a, at a tiki bar and have a drink with you. <laughs> like we can go to the heart attack grill again. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. The uh, idea to do before I had to go shoot 20 bands of punk rock bowling is eat 20 pounds of hamburger. Oh my gosh. I forgot that we <laughs> did that. Oh yeah. For those that are listening that, that aren't aware, if, if you've been to downtown Las Vegas, there's a restaurant called the heart attack grill where they have, you know, like an elephant scale or a truck yeah. scale or something outside. And the whole, the whole gimmick is you get to wear, uh, like scrubs what, or something. You have to wear like, yeah, the scrubs that you wear when you're a patient at a hospital. And like <laughs> they all, they have TVs that aren't playing sports. They're just playing the owner on, you know, Jerry Springer talking about how he takes pride in giving people heart attacks. It's just, oh yeah. my God. And if you don't at, finish your meal, they hit you with a paddle. Yes. I've never been so terrified to finish my food. <laughs> I know exactly. Oh, I I completely forgot about that. And I would not I would not recommend that recipe. It's not like the burger was great. No. You know, the com- it was great company, but the burger not not not, not so much. Um <laughs> Well, you have a you have a, a photography exhibit. Yeah. Dare we call it a show, a photography show that's coming up. It's actually happening now. It's running through the 17th of next month, and it is at the Whitney Library in Las Vegas, and it's called Explosion of Silence, which I think is a Lawrence Arms reference. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. You got it. Like, <laughs> no, no one else is like, well, no one else that has said it to me. They're always like, where did you get it from? I was talking to my friend Chris yesterday. And he was like, he's like, oh, what song is that from? I'm Chris from Span Rainer. And he's like, what song is that from? I'm like, you covered that song. Your band covered it for Punks in Vegas. But um, Chris yeah. is such a poser. We're calling him out. Chris, you're a poser. Yeah. You didn't know 100 resolutions. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I could oh my no, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, um, yeah, as far as the name goes, I actually, you know, so if people are listening and they don't know, I do these acoustic sessions with punks in Vegas and they're called the strip down sessions. And, um, I never really liked that name. My, my intent with the name was that we were filming them on the strip in downtown. So I just kind of mashed that together, but it doesn't really come across that way. It just comes across as kind of generic and maybe like six or eight months after I started releasing the videos, I was in my car. I was listening to Lawrence Arms. I was singing along to that song. And I was like, oh man, Explosion of Silence. That would have been such a cool name. And, you know, the um, Nervous Energy sessions had started by that point. Yeah. Their their name is a line from the song Bamboo Bones by Against Me. And that's like one of my favorite songs ever. So I was so jealous that um, that guy, Ryan, Ryan Russell, um, I think is his name, but I was, I was so jealous that like he came up with that idea because that's such a cool name from such a cool song. And then I heard that Lawrence Arms lyric and I was like, oh man, that could have been like the name for these sessions, but I didn't want to change them. But I just kind of like kept that name in my head over the years because I wanted to use it for something. And then when this solo gallery came up, I was like, oh, this would be so perfect for it because it's like, the you know the photos capture like the explosive energy you get from a show but they're just in in a picture so they're silent and they're also in yeah. a library which is supposed to be 
<laughs> silent, but but actually very rarely is. So um, <laughs> yeah. I just thought it fit so well. So I was, I was really happy ultimately that I didn't use it on something earlier because it just it just fits so well with this. It makes me happy. Yeah, that's a perfect fit, and that's great that you've held on to that little you know nugget of of poetry from when you had that idea to all these years later. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but, but this is, a, a showcase of Emily, of you. Yes. It's, it's not so much a showcase of punks in Vegas. Was that a deliberate kind of de-branding? Yeah, I did go that route on purpose. So last year I had my first gallery. It was a punks in Vegas gallery, and it was a combo gallery with some of the other photographers that shoot for the site. And that was, you know, such a great experience. Like I really loved getting to hang out with my photographer friends and I got to look at their photos, um, you know, as well as mine being next to them. And, you know, they're also talented and cool and it was such a good experience. And when, it, when that gallery was coming to a close, I was trying to think about what I wanted to do next. Cause I did have a lot of prints left over and, you know, I just have a small apartment. Like, I don't need, like, a, a bunch of my own photos and frames taking up space. <laughs> you don't need to look at your, your work just at every turn. I'm, I'm really self-critical. So, like, <laughs> I, I don't want to stare at my own photos. Like, I'll just drive myself crazy. But right. I, you know, so I thought, like, a, a solo gallery would be something, it, it would be something cool to do. So I, you know, I work for the library district as well. Um, and I really like the gallery system that we have. Um, in the library district. So I just filled out one of the apps on the, the website, LVC, lvccld.org. And the gallery manager, um, Darren, just messaged me, said he wanted to do it. Um, and yeah, like I had a couple reasons for just doing this as, you know, as Emily instead of um, under Punks in Vegas. Uh, a big part of it is that even though Punks in Vegas started as, you know, with the original intention that it was just me talking about the punk scene, taking pictures of the punk scene, whatever. It's, I feel like it's grown so much behind that to where like, I don't feel like I'm punks in Vegas and I don't feel like it would feel right. Sure. It's a collective and you're part of that collective and you're the head of that collective by default because you're the creator. But yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I just, um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I changed my name legally this year and I really, like, I really like my new name. I, I got to pick it out myself. So I'm glad that I like it, but I, I just like, um, like I'm happy with it now. So I don't feel like I need to, um, hide behind, you know, the punks in Vegas name or, or, or anything else. Like I, I can just be me. And yeah, I wanted to ask if, if, if that, in terms of the, your your personal transition, you know, was, was that on, on purpose where you really kind of, you, you know, you're obviously showcasing your great work, which you've done before. I, I wasn't aware that Punks in Vegas had, had previously had a show uh, or a showcase like that. But this is the first time you're doing this by yourself, correctly? Yeah, yeah the first one, and, the solo gallery. Yeah, and you're doing this solo show and you're kind of putting your new self forward, too. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of scary sometimes, but, but really exciting. I, I get, you know, I, I've dropped off so many flyers, for instance, for this show or showcase, whatever you want to call it. Um, partially cause I have nothing else to do because of COVID, but also I just like, I, I get so happy seeing that name on the flyer. Like it just makes me feel really good. And, um, I've, I've barely got to see anyone since like, I sort of made this transition public. So there's yeah. more people finding out. So, you know, getting my name out in that way is also helpful. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just, um, you know, it, it just feels like, it just feels like me and it, it's something that I'm comfortable with. And, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have, put my name on it prior to this. It probably would have just been explosion of silence, even if I had not used the punks in Vegas name, but, um, you know, I'm just really, really happy with my name now. So I wanted it out there. 
Yeah, it's twofold. I mean, it's it's a showcase of your work, and it's a celebration of yeah. kind of the new you, right? Yeah. What, what's the significance behind choosing the word Emily, the word, the name Emily? <laughs> you know, like, I wish that I had, like, like, a super exciting story about, like, some great Emily that inspired me or something. But honestly... Like I just read something in a magazine once a number of years ago talking about people who are transgender and talking about choosing names. And I just remember in the article, it was like, when you're, when you're picking a new name, you should look at names that were popular the year you were born. So it's like a name that would like, that, that you might've actually been given during that time. And I don't know, that just like stuck out in my head. So when I was trying to figure out what name to, to, to change, in, to like change my name to, I pulled up a list of names from the year I was born and just kind of looked up and down them and <laughs> tried to see like which one just like, which one I wanted. And mm-hmm. um, that one just really, it just felt right. Um I had tried a couple of names like in years past, but, um, you know, when I was really committing to doing this, this time, like, you know, telling people and, and moving forward with this, um, that the, it just felt right. Did that help with the, the, what I presume to be the struggle? You know, it, it's, it's like, if you know that you're going through this and your body's going through this and, and you, you, you feel this in your heart of hearts, but you've committed to a name that you're, you know, kind of like ambiguous about or not really into. Like, did it did it help that you that you were, for lack of a better term, you know, armed with a, a beautiful name such as Emily that you truly loved? Did that is that made this transition a, a little bit smoother? I think so. I mean, you know, when I initially started telling people. I mean, if I'm talking about my more recent history, when I, like when I told my group of friends and everything, I hadn't picked out a name yet, and they all asked, and I was just like, I don't know, and like I, I don't know, I, I just like, um, you know, once I had that down, I think it did make it a lot easier to start telling people, and then eventually, when I was able to tell everybody what was going on, um, and just shift to using that, you know, change my social media, do all that kind of stuff, uh, it, it definitely helped, I think. Yeah. And and I think that's a great idea that you went back and looked at the year that you were born to get something that is timely because ultimately that is, you know, you are a byproduct of that year and and if you were born in the early 80s like me, you know, you're you've got some 80s stench on you no matter what you do. We can't wash it off of us, you know. Yeah. And so if if I think if you uh, you know, if you named yourself anything, but like, you know, there's so many people named Aiden and Willow now, you yeah. know. <laughs> if you had a very 2019 2020 name i don't know but emily emily it, it, i feel like that that really works for you and and it seems like you feel it really works for you too yeah and, and you know another thing with that name too i guess is that i don't have like another association with it like um you know like 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 it doesn't make me think of like a specific person or like someone in my life or you know anything yeah, like it, it just feels like me. And I'm glad that I like it because I went through, it was a huge hassle to get all my stuff changed. So it, it would have been a bummer if I didn't like it and had to pick something else. Yeah. If, if you don't mind me asking, you know, is, has this been something that has been weighing on you for a long time? Yeah. I mean, I've basically been struggling with it my whole life. Um, and I mean, it, you know, it's so different for everyone. So like, you know, I can talk about how things were like for me, um, but it's going to be different for everybody that experiences this. Um, so I always try to make that that clear because people, a lot of people seem to think that there's just like one certain way that people, you know, discover this kind of stuff about themselves. But, you know, I feel like I always felt this way. Um, but like, and like, I feel like I always felt this way And then I was like a little bit more casual about it when I was really young and the adults in my life didn't react, um, very positively to it. And, um, as a little kid, you're just like, well, I don't know why these old people are mad at me. So I I guess I'm just going to try not to to be this way or or do this or or, or whatever. 
And, um, you know, growing up, uh, especially growing up in the nineties and I was born in the eighties, but, you know, going to, going to school in the nineties, growing up in the nineties, you know, being in middle school and high school in the nineties, like it was a very different time for how, so it's like, I didn't even realize what being transgender was until I was in my twenties. Like like in the nineties, there was like the only time it would really come up in the media, at least in what I saw was always like in this negative sense, like, um, people being crazy or villains like, you know, in um, like Ace Ventura or like on all the talk shows. Or Silence of the Lambs, you know, the the crazed murderer was, yeah, that's, yeah. It's like you were pigeonholed culturally for generations. So it was was really hard because, you know, I could feel some way about myself internally, but then the, the way that the things that I was seeing in the media were making me think like, well, that can't be me because I'm not like these people that I'm seeing on TV. And it seems silly in retrospect, but like as a kid, you know, it really made me like push a lot of stuff down deeper than I should have. And, um, you know, things, I would find different ways to distract myself. And, and, And a lot of the way that I distract myself was being in relationships And, you know, when I would start a new relationship, I didn't really think about it as much because I would be really hyper-focused on this relationship or really hyper-focused on school. And, um, but, you know, I still have this thing going on in the back of my head that I just wasn't talking to anybody about. And it was causing so many problems in my life, you know, with depression and anxiety. And um, I, I still, at that point, hadn't really done any research into what was going on. And then, um you know, when Laura Jane Grace came out and I started looking at her story, I began to understand more what was going on with me and doing more actual research and going to therapy, um, you know, a gender therapist and, um, everything just made sense and like felt right, you know, but it was really complicated because of stuff that was going on in my personal life at the time, I had, um, you know, I had just gotten married at that point and, um, I really didn't know what to do because, you know, I, I loved my wife and, um, you know, I always wanted to be married and, and, you know, I didn't really have a family growing up and I thought it'd be cool to kind of have that as an adult Um, but it was, it was causing so many problems in my life. So I I started telling people, um, some friends just kind of like what was going on. The initial reaction at that point was, was somewhat mixed. I had people in my life that were really supportive and some people that weren't. And ultimately I felt, I don't know, I felt really stuck at that point. And I, um, you know, a, a lot of choices were, were made from, from, from me and from other people that were maybe in retrospect, not the best choices at the time, but, um, I, I, I tried to just, you, you know, there's lots of people that are transgender, but don't transition for one reason or another. Um, for, for a variety of different reasons, some medical reasons, family reasons, there's hundreds of reasons. And I thought like, well, maybe I could be like that. Like I understand like who I am and maybe that's like enough for me to, um, like, like feel better, you know, but it just wasn't like, I knew what I needed to do, but I just didn't know how to do it. And, um, you know, eventually, you know, eventually the, the, the marriage ended, um, somewhat poorly because of, you know, choices that I made. And, um, at that point I thought like, okay, now I have the freedom to be able to do this thing that I need to do, but I was just so, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a scary thing to do. And I felt like I had lost the nerve and I had all these new friends now and 
still a lot of my old friends too, of course, but you know, I, I like a new support system and, and they were all, they're all so great. And I still just like, didn't feel like I had the nerve. Like I didn't really know what was going on. I thought that maybe I just lost the nerve for forever that I would never feel confident enough to bring this up again. And it just started, um, you know, progressively destroying my life. Like my, you know, I was coping a lot with, with, with alcohol, um, to, to a somewhat dangerous extent. And, um, you know, I, like, like I knew what, what I needed to do to, to, to feel right, to feel good. And I put it off for longer than I should have. And the partying got a little bit too out of control. Um, and at that point I realized that I needed to, that I needed to, to confide in my friends, what was actually going on, like why things were the way that they were. And luckily those, you know, I, I feel very lucky that the people in my life and those friends were, were so nice and, and so supportive and, um, you know, no hesitation, no, no weirdness. Um, you know, they were all just so great about it. And it was really hard for me to talk about it first, just because I was scared about losing them. Like I had lost people in the past, but things went really well and, you know, I was going to do this either way, but it really helped with my confidence because um, I had a whole lot of people to tell after after I told them. So, yeah. And you had it's like you had people had your back, you know? Yeah, it, it makes so it makes so much difference. Um, yeah, it, it makes a lot of difference. Um, I mean, yeah, I would have done it either way, but it, it was really I was really lucky yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Emily. I mean, that's really tremendous. And you deserve a lot of credit for, for being so brave. Um, and, and I think it's also very telling that uh, how, how selfless you are in, you know, respecting and, and understanding, you know, the, the, you know, the collateral damage that occurred as, as you were kind of corralling towards this, this new discovery of yourself, you know, um, it was not a perfect change as as you described. And, uh, you know, do do you feel as if the good and the bad that have happened, like, are are you in a comfortable place now? COVID notwithstanding, but kind of considering. Yeah. COVID notwithstanding, which is a whole separate thing is like when I imagined, um, you know, when I, when I imagined, being able to transition, um, which I did every day for a really long time. I, I never imagined that it was going to be during a global pandemic where <laughs> so much was up in the air as far as like doctor's appointments and everything else I have going on. Yeah, um, I want to ask, I mean, was that just like a, another a round of hurdles and just postponements and things that you, you know, you kind of had on your calendar to get done, but now you couldn't because of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I... When, you know, when I decided that I was going to finally do it, that I was going to move forward with this, you know, I had a very specific timeline in my head and, um, you know, I always like plan things out, which I think has really been helpful with punks in Vegas. Cause you know, I plan out, like we're going to get the coverage up at a certain time. And, um, you know, with the transition, I was like, well, I'm going to make sure all my friends know by Thanksgiving and I'm going to make sure that like my work knows by my birthday and I'm going to, um, you know, start the like laser hair removal on this date. And then maybe I'll be done by this other date. I didn't realize they were going to have to be closed for like three months because a pandemic happened and no one could get near my face. But, um, you know, I have um, particular surgeries and stuff that are planned that, um, are somewhat up in the air because they involve traveling to other countries that are currently closed to visitors. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, just as far as like, like the place I'm in now versus the place I was, um, you know, even like a year ago today, like I never like imagined how, I, I guess I never like really imagined like how intense the like mental health benefits of being on hormone replacement therapy is you know, for somebody who's transgender like myself. 
Cause you know, when I first got on it, um, I, I felt really happy that I was able to start, but you know, like a few months in, even though, um, I was getting a lot of setbacks as far as like the, the hair removal being postponed and, you know, other things like that. Um, my just like baseline mental attitude has improved like such a crazy, like an intense amount. That's like hard to describe. Like, and it's not like I'm never sad because I'm, I'm sad a lot. Like there's a lot of difficult things going on both in the world and in my own, um, personal life, you know, because of all this, you know, it's a hard, hard thing to go through, but just like my baseline self is so much improved in, in just this amount of time. Like, uh, you know, I, I really wish I didn't put it off for so long now because I did, I, I feel so much better. And yeah. It, Do you have a peace of mind that helps you, you know, as you're dealing with these postponements of, of appointments and, and just the, the hassle of, of, of living in a pandemic, let alone trying to transition during a pandemic, do you yeah. feel like you're in a good piece, a good place with a good peace of mind? And to, you know, to, to quote bad brains, you, you got that PMA. So you're able to kind of weather the storm a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, I'm a somewhat impatient person sometimes. And I'm just like, like, like I just wanted, I just want to do it. Like I want to get this process over with, but also, um, I, I, um, it is a slow process, like in general. So it's been kind of hard um, teaching myself uh, to be patient and, um, especially with the pandemic because it's, it's really out of my hands. If the airlines are closed in, Argentina, I can't just swim there. So I, I just have to be more patient. But um, I mean, my, my, my day to day life is so much better. Like I get so happy just hearing people call me by the right name or, or call me by the right pronoun. Like it's really hard going through life when people perceive you different than you are. And having more of that alignment now um, does give me so much more peace of mind. Like I, I actually, you know, I, I spend so much time, like so, you know, the depression and the anxiety prior to transitioning, and especially while I was while I was still married, you know, I I, I just like I couldn't really be around people anymore. Like I was going to shows and I was covering stuff, but. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I loved music, I probably would have never left the house. Like it was really hard for me for a while. And I just feel so different now. Like I feel a lot more comfortable, um, just talking to people. I mean, I'm I'm still weird and awkward, but, um, it's just like, um, I I just enjoy life so much more now. Like I, I never knew that I could feel like this. Yeah. I'm curious if you, you mentioned Laura Jane Grace previously and, and yeah. her transition and the, the public eye of it and that Rolling Stone article was, was quite monumental. Um, yeah. Do you kind of look at your transition as something that you want to use as, as a positive influence for other people that are going through what you're going through or do you kind of look at it from the other side of the mirror where, you you know, you're obviously a friendly and, and, and kind person and you're there to help, but you want to keep this transition kind of more on on the the personal side and, and kind of, uh, you know, in, in, in a, in the private sector of your life. You know what? It's interesting that you bring that up because there's, there is a part of me as a, as a private person that would like to be a little bit more private about it, but I, I really make it a point to, to put it out there, what I'm doing. Like if anyone, um, you know, looks on my Twitter or my Instagram, which is both just my name, Emily Matview, you know, I, I post about the stuff I'm doing, like the, the hair removal or the, um, um, now, now I'm blanking at everything I've done this year. Um, all, all the issues I've had with getting my documents changed, um, issues I've had in the past. Yeah, I remember I, you I, posting something about the DMV. You got, you got a new passport, correct? Yeah, I got a new passport yeah. and a new license. And I saw grown-ass people fighting each other because it was the first day the DMV opened. It was scary. 
his dad, my friend Danny, was there to make sure that um, he, he stayed longer than he needed to to make sure I was safe, which was very nice. Um, but the um, I, I've kind of been challenging myself, I guess, a bit to put that information out to, to get out of my comfort zone because I do think a lot, and, and you know, like I'm essentially, but like like I'm not. Laura Jane Grace, right? Like, like she's famous. She was on MTV. Like, like, you know, her transition really changed a lot of people's lives and perceptions. You know, I'm, I'm nothing like that, but I feel like if I can help, you know, even one person, like understand themselves better, or, you know, maybe understand like their, you know, transgender child better, um, or a relative, then, um, then I, then I think it's important that, that I keep putting that stuff out there because I just keep going back to my situation as a kid, you know, like I didn't see a positive, um, like positive representation of a trans person in the media until like I was in my like mid to late twenties. And, and maybe I was just looking in the wrong places, which, which is definitely a possibility. Um, but like, you know, I didn't see any of that. And my life would probably be very different right now if I, if I had seen that. So if, if I can help, you know, anyone, um, by, you know, putting myself out there that I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, The irony is, as I was phrasing that question, I realized that we're addressing this in a very public forum <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I thought the same thing when, when you asked me about doing this. I'm like, you know, it, his, I, I've been on one podcast in the past before, and it was my friend Andy's podcast, who does uh, Andy Harrison, who does uh, most of the graphic design now for Punks in Vegas. Um, and, and I did that um, because he was doing all the graphic design and everything. But historically, I've been kind of uncomfortable doing stuff like this. But you know, when, when you asked me and asked if I was comfortable talking about this kind of stuff, I, I just felt along that same lines. Like it's, in, it's important to me to get this kind of information out to people so that hopefully, you know, it, it can help, hopefully it helps someone, I, you know, if it helps anyone. And yeah. I think that. I, I just have really just have one question for you. And it's something that, you know, I've always, I guess I, I've never been close friends enough with, with someone who's been transitioning to, to ask this. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's quite simple, you know, besides, you know, really trying to mind pronouns and, and being apologetic when we fuck up, which inevitably I always do. Um, you know, what, what can we do, you know, as like, uh, as a fellow human, um, as a fellow punk rocker, like what, what can we do to help you and people who are in situations like yours to make your day-to-day, you know, uh, transition just incrementally smoother and better? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is really people, I don't know if this is the right word, like people like, um, like policing each other. That doesn't sound right. Like people, like, like if you have a friend who is saying shitty stuff about trans people, making transphobic jokes or remarks or something, call them out on it. Tell them they're being shitty. Um, I, I think people in uncomfortable situations just sort of, not not everyone, of course, like I don't want people to get the wrong idea here. I'm not calling anyone out, but you know, people make off-color comments and people, instead of wanting to rock the boat, just kind of nervously giggle or something. They clam like, up, you know, pull, yeah. Pull yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just like you would for, for anything else, you know, I feel like, especially with the punk scene, you know, you know, we're supposed to be an, an inclusive place. So if they're, you know, I, I feel like there shouldn't be any tolerance for, you know, transphobia, just like there shouldn't be any tolerance for racism or, or misogyny or anything like that in the scene and actually in all of life. Um, but, um, just if we're focusing on the punk scene right now, um, and, and, you know, the other thing I would say is like, if, you know, if you have a person in your life, a, a trans person in your life and, um, you, you know, like, like say you're unsure what pronouns they use or, um, you know, what their, what their name is or, or, or whatever, what, what name they prefer, 
um, just ask. Uh, you know, it seems really simple, but I think people will sort of like avoid the topic sometimes because they don't want to make things uncomfortable. Yeah. And that, you know, if, you know, when you know people for a long time, sometimes slip ups happen. And, you know, that's something that I have to deal with a lot right now. And it's not fun. But like, I understand when somebody apologizes, um, you know, you know, if you mess up, just apologize um, and, and try really hard not to do it again. Um, but, but just like making sure that you're apologizing and trying, because I can definitely tell when, when people are trying and they slip up just, just on accident out of habit um, versus people that like, um, it, it's really hard for me. Okay. So like if somebody, like, like if you hear somebody misgender your trans friend and that person does it, whether it's on accident or purpose, like you should remind that person. Cause like as, as a trans person, it's really, it gets so exhausting having to remind people all the time. So it's yeah. Kind of like, it's like you're like policing your existence in a certain way, which I can't imagine is yeah, you know, it, it, it really comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So um, it can get really exhausting. I mean, I mean, most everyone's been, been super awesome, but you know, that kind of slip up happens and it kind of helps when somebody else can step in and say like, Oh, you know, I heard you said this, you, sh- you should have said that. Because, you know, occasionally it's like those, the, you'll have those people where you're like, oh, hey, it's actually, you know, she and her now or, you know, whatever. And so, sometimes it's just people like get grumpy about it. And it's like, you know, I'm just trying to be polite, polite and remind you. So don't be grumpy with me. Things are, <laughs> things are difficult enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, my takeaway from that is just uh, apologize if you fuck up and, yeah. you know, people are going to fuck up. So just, you know, be trying, you know, yeah. don't be, don't be uh, a- apathetic towards, towards the plight that, that, that people like yourself are going through. Yeah. And if, if you're somebody who knows that you're really bad at remembering that stuff, like instead of just being like, I'm really bad at remembering this stuff lol and then doing it every day just like really put the effort into trying it it makes a huge difference like really try really hard to think of this of this person the way they want you to think of them and there you have it ladies and gentlemen thank you very much to emily matview for being willing to come on the podcast and talk to me and being brave enough to share her story, I find it very inspiring, and I know a lot of other people are going to find it very inspiring as well. If you are in the Las Vegas area, Emily Matview has a photography exhibit called Explosion of Silence that is running through November 17th at the Whitney Library. I'm sure if you type that into your Google machine, you can find it. You can also follow along at Punks in Vegas on Instagram I know they're promoting it on there as well. Thanks to our sponsors, High Spirit Shirts, handmade tie-dye t-shirts by our friends in South Florida. If you want some custom threads that are going to look sweet, hit up at High Spirit Shirts on Instagram. And also, last but not least, the good folks at New Wave who are giving us Flow State Coffee. Get 10% off your first order by going to newwave.com dot co slash berman n-o-o-w-a-v-e dot c-o slash b-e-r-m-a-n all right folks that's it i'll see you next time let's get at it